Carolina podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Hugh Topia Football Podcast, and week three is upon us. The Texans traveling to Jacksonville on Sunday to take on the Jags. They are heavy underdogs right now, nine and a half point underdogs as of this morning. And the more news that comes out about the Texans, the more bad news comes out about the Texans. So who knows where that line is right now? I'll check it here in just a second. But we welcome you in to the podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Mornings on Sports Radio 610. Joined as always by my uh, good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how are we doing this morning? I'm doing great. I think the only worst thing news we could get about the Texans is if something happened to C.J. Stroud and the way he's getting beat up. Bite your tongue. My God. about that at some point. But right now, all the news involving the Texans is bad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bad, and it got worse this morning. And uh, let's just get right to it. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., has a uh, he's got a hamstring pull. Aaron Wilson was the first I saw with this news that he's uh, Derek Stingley Jr. pulled a hamstring in practice. He is looks like going to miss some games. Might be put on the IR. There's a whole lot more information that still is to come out with Stingley. But John, there is there is a uh, there's a lot of angles with Stingley we can go here. Obviously, there's the short term angle of week three. Um, with the Jags. And then there's the big picture angle, which is the selection of Derek Stingley Jr. Third overall in the draft last year, knowing that he had an injury history. And now this is the second straight year that he's going to miss time because of the same injury, because of a hamstring injury. Let's start with the bigger picture first. How bad of a look is this right now for Nick Casario that Derek Stingley Jr. with injury issues now injured again, Kenyon Green, the other first-round pick out for the season. He had some injury issues coming into the league. Hell, I'll even go to the second round. Jalen Petrie's injury is a little more specific and short-term. But John Mechie, you know, he he's he can't control leukemia, but he did have an ACL, and he's dealt with hamstring injuries. Um, but staying focused on the top two guys, I guess, Kenyon Green and Derek Stingley Jr., this is a horrible look for Nick Casario right now. Absolutely, and last year Stingley missed eight games with a hamstring injury. I don't remember Sauce Gardner missing games with injuries. Stingley hasn't been healthy since that great freshman year at uh, LSU when they went unbeaten and won the national championship in 2019. But he was healthy. He wasn't healthy when they drafted him. They had to bring him in slow in the offseason program and training camp. Problem is he looked really good in the offseason program, training camp, preseason and early this season, and now he's injured again. And you wonder, is this going to be an issue for him? Is he injury prone? And that's bad news because now they got Shaquille Griffin. Desmond King, who they got rid of, is looking pretty good right now. He could have been playing in the slot where Graylon Arnold is having to play right now. And because Tavier Thomas suffered a broken hand, and then uh, now Shaquille Griffin's got to play outside where Desmond King could have been playing as well. Yeah, and this is a really bad opponent. We'll get to the specifics of it, but this is a bad week for for injuries in the secondary, John, because this is this is one of the more talented offensive teams that the Texans are going to play on their schedule this year, the Jags, and they've got a lot of talented pass catchers on that team between uh, Christian Kirk and uh, Calvin Ridley, tight end Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne out of the backfield is a guy who's a dual threat 
sort of running back. So um, this is a bad week for all of this. I the this this thing it's not just that Sauce Gardner's been healthy, John. He's also been one of the two or three best cornerbacks in all of football in that time. This if Nick if there's an undoing for Nick Casario as the general manager of the football team. It's. I think it's going to be the first round of the 2022 draft. You know, who knows? Maybe C.J. Stroud saves everybody like Deshaun Watson did back in the day uh, before they traded him. But um, this first round, Nick's first two first-round picks as GM of the Texans could not be skewing in a worse direction right now. One of the things about Jalen Petrie, who has a bruised lung and hasn't returned, he started every game as a rookie. I think there were only five players who started every game. And he started every game he played at Baylor. So I don't think he's going to be injury prone. But Stingley, man, oh, man, they've got to be devastated because they had such high hopes for him because they drafted him so high. And the better Sauce Gardner does for the Jets, the worse it makes them look. Yep, it's really, really bad. All right, so Derek Stingley Jr., hamstring injury. We await more news on that. But that's that's a big injury beyond just week three or week three through whatever Stingley's out third overall pick in the draft. That's those are those are things that cost people their jobs when they're compounded with with other with other poor selections or poor decisions made. So certainly something to uh to keep an eye on. All right, so let's um let's look ahead here, John. So we do have this Jacksonville game coming up this week and the Texans actually look, they're actually down to a 9-point favorite. I have no idea why the money moved on the Texans here uh this morning, but they're down to 9. It's been 9 9 and a half all week. Uh they're one of the bigger underdogs on the board. This, though, is a place where they've had a lot of success. Even bad Texans teams have gone into Jacksonville in recent years and won football games in Jacksonville. The last time they lost in Jacksonville was in 2017, the year that the Jaguars made it to the AFC Championship game. So we do a pregame six-pack every week for the Texans opponent week three at Jacksonville. As you can see, if you're watching on uh, on YouTube, you're watching on video, you can see the graphic at the bottom there. Um so let's do this. The six people storylines are parts of this game, John, that people need to know heading into the game on Sunday, and then we'll make our predictions on this game. You go first. The obvious person is for the Texans is C.J. Stroud, who's off to a terrific start. Under extenuating circumstances of having the worst offensive line in franchise history, everybody made a big deal out of four starters being out in that loss Sunday to uh, – uh, can't remember who they played now. Uh, Colts. Colts. They lost. Good job starters. wiping it from your memory, John. Yeah. That's, I three, wish I had that power. <laughs> three starters were out. Well, those three starters were backups who had to become starters. They've got all these injuries up front. They got poor play from Shaq Mason, who Nick Casario extended without seeing him play here. Nick hadn't seen him since he was in New England. So their offensive line has just been a shambles. But Stroud's gotten rid of the ball quick. He's done well on the run. He hasn't had an interception. He's going to get one sooner or later. You hope it's not at Jacksonville. They won there last year with Davis Mills. Could they win? Sure, they could. But I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to be mediocre two games in a row. No. I'm going to add to that, John. My first one here, just to play off of what you just said, is Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator for the Texans, who I've probably been more critical of this week than praising him. Just look, he's the offensive coordinator for an offense that's scored 14 points a game the first two weeks. So there's 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 not a ton to look at and go, yeah, he's he's doing a bang-up job. But I was very, very critical of him for the way he handled the second half of the Indianapolis game, the casual nature that the offense was, was uh, going about their business with, 
Um, the play calling, which was lacked complete urgency, running up the middle in a game where you had shown you can't run up the middle, all of those things. So I think I think Slowick is going to be something to watch in this game to see if they're going to try to run the football. We know that. We, we absolutely know that that's what they want. That's their stated goal, it feels like. But I wonder if they're not able to run the football, and especially if they get behind, if he adapts and lets C.J. Stroud put the onus on his right arm to go win this football game. Because I think Stroud has shown he's perfectly capable of making the throws that you need to make to move the chains and score points. Um, I just, my hope is that uh, if this is a game that's a winnable game and that's what's needed to win the game, not leaning on Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary and running their heads into a wall 25 times for an average of 2.2 yards or something like that. I hope that Slowick, same way with C.J. Stroud, same way with D'Amico Ryans, all these guys that are doing their job for the first time. I hope Slowick has learned some lessons these first couple weeks, and the lesson I think he needs to have learned is if they're going to win football games right now, it's going to be based on C.J. Stroud throwing the football, not trying to run Damian Pierce 25 times behind this broken offensive line. I don't see them having a chance to win many games, and I'm and I'm pretty sure one of the reasons he did what he did Stroud's on a pace to be sacked 93 times. Team record 76, 2002, David Carr's first year. He's been hit 19 times. And I'm guessing he knows the more he throws the ball, and they've thrown it a lot, the more Stroud's going to get hit. And he went into that game with a sore shoulder. He played great. Two touchdowns, should have been three, if not for Josh Jones' penalty. Maybe they get their problems straightened out in the offensive line. Maybe they don't when Titus Howard and Juice Scruggs can come back. But I think the offensive line affects the play calling. But in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, when they should have been getting to the line of scrimmage sooner, if not going to a no huddle, quarterbacks love to play no huddle because they don't have to think as much mm-hmm. and just play. They should have had everything turned up a couple of notches on the last drive, two drives of the third quarter. And then, of course, all of the fourth quarter. So I think we'll see – like we saw them not have the issues and having to burn timeouts of the first game. I think we'll see Bobby Slowick calling a different kind of game. Problem is they're averaging two yards of carry lowest in the NFL, and it's not going to change with this offensive line. No, no. Well, at least they get Larry Tunsil back, and that'll that'll curtail some of the concerns about – and I don't want to hijack any of your six-pack things here, John, but getting Laramie back for the sake of CJ and keeping Josh Allen – off of him, I think is obviously a positive development this week. What's your next one, John? Well, I'll say this. They haven't said Laramie's coming back for sure yet. They need him desperately. And even when he was in there, he was sacked five times. So I don't think it matters. who. When they're not good across the board and teams are taking advantage of those offensive linemen, Stroud's going to get killed. Uh, my next one, I've given up on the running game because I think it's impossible to run in this situation up front. So I'm going to go to the defensive line, and the defensive line just got hammered, manhandled by the Colts. And no tackles for loss, not one stinking tackle for loss in that game, even though they ran the ball, they threw the ball, and they just got engulfed. They had one hit on the quarterback by Will Anderson, Jr. It was just a terrible performance overall. Caught out of position on two touchdown runs by Anthony Richardson missed tackles. Defensive line starting with ends Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson Jr. Moving inside to Malik Collins, who just got a big contract. The line 
has to play better than it did against the Colts. John, you know who the worst defensive lineman is in football, according to Pro Football Focus? Malik Willis. Malik Collins. Yeah. Malik Willis would be an awful defensive lineman as well, for sure. Couldn't be any worse, could he? Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Like, You know what? By Mathematically, that is accurate. He could not be worse (laughs) than Malik Collins, who is, according to Pro Football Focus, the worst defensive lineman in all of football. Ooh. I wouldn't want that stigma. But they've got to play better because they sure did not follow up their performance against the Ravens when they played well against the run, got some heat on uh, Lamar Jackson. They didn't follow up against the Colts. I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball for for my second one, John, and I'm going to go with Jimmy Ward, assuming he's back. Again, I know he's another one that is practicing again, and we're hoping he's back along with Tunsil and a couple other guys. Um, but I think Jimmy Ward for a couple of reasons. One, as we've mentioned, they've got a lot of weapons on that Jacksonville side. I think they're going to need somebody back that, you know, Jimmy Ward was brought in, I think, for for a lot of reasons. I think kind of savvy and leadership is one of them. So I think having Jimmy Ward back there to make sure everybody's where they need to be. But I think even more than that, you know, those first several series against Indianapolis where they just look dead in the water, the Texans, I'd like to think that if Jimmy Ward's on the field, he's getting up up in somebody's grill about playing the way they were playing out there. I know he was on the sideline for that game. It's different. I think when you're out there in the huddle, play to play, you can get, you know, you you can exert some of that veteran leadership. It's a reason why he's a captain. It's a reason why they signed him. Um, Jimmy Ward having hopefully kind of a Jimmy Ward effect on this defense to where they don't come out slow the way they did in week two. Um, and then hopefully making a play, you know, Jimmy Ward, he's forces turnover sometimes maybe making a play in this game. Cause they'll probably, they are significant, you know, they're definitely the less talented team. They're probably going to need to win the turnover battle in order to win this game. And I think Jimmy Ward affects that too. So he's mine, not only for the, the actual physical reasons of him being a good football player, but I think the, the, the leadership and energy that he brings, I think is much needed based off of last week. Hopefully he can inspire them for, but yes, usually, usually that kind of effort from the start is on the coaches. Domingo Ryan, Matt Burke, Bobby Slowick, position coaches. Those guys just weren't ready to play. No, it's inexcusable. It was, uh, it was very frustrating. What's your next one, John? Wide receivers right now, CJ Stroud and his wideouts are what they've got going best. Nico Collins was outstanding. His numbers would have been even more impressive if he hadn't had a couple Wiped out because of penalties. Great on those slant wraps. He breaks tackles because he's strong and he's 6'4". I'm eager to see what the Jaguars are going to do to take away the middle of the field from him because he burned them big time. But Collins, Tank Dell should have had two touchdowns. One call back because of Josh Jones's penalty. Robert Woods has been very dependable. So those wideouts got to step up as they have been, especially when they get in the red zone because they got to be better in the red zone. Yeah, they, uh, you know, Seth made this observation. The thing that he thought was cool about Tank Dell getting in there and getting as many snaps as he did, you talk about opening up the middle of the field. The big reason why the middle of the field was open for Nico in that Colts game is because they had to respect Tank deep. Tank was doing a lot of clearing out of that middle part of the field because he's he gets open everywhere on the field. He gets open at all three levels of the field. So Tank Dell being out there, I tell you, John, I, like, I don't root for injury with anybody. But Noah Brown going on injury reserve and forcing the coaches to give more snaps to Tank Dell offensively, it might end up being one of the best things that's, hap- that's happened to this team. I'd go to Tank deep early yeah, just to, just so the Jaguars would be aware of it and maybe leave the middle of the field open again. 
where Nico Collins can excel again. Yeah. Um, all right. My last one, John, for our pregame six pack here is is the the cornerback room. I mean, I know both my previous one was the secondary. I'll go from safety over to corner. If Derek Stingley Jr. is not going to play, the only corner that they have on the roster right now that is really trustworthy and experienced is Steven Nelson, which is crazy to think given all the noise he was making during the summer about his contract situation. Not only has he played really, really well so far, uh, not only did he actually end up getting a little bit more money this year that he wanted, despite clowning Nick Casario on social media, um, he's 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 the only guy, he's the last man standing right now among healthy frontline running backs. As you mentioned before, they cut Desmond King. Tavier Thomas breaks his hand against Indianapolis. Derek Stingley Jr. pulls a hamstring in practice. Um, and it, now it's it's Steven Nelson, Shaq Griffin, and then a bunch of guys nobody's ever heard of before playing cornerback against a team that has Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley. That's a good, solid – that's better than solid. That is a that is a really good duo of wide receivers who have both had their moments so far this year. Calvin Ridley had 100 yards and a touchdown in the first game. Christian Kirk had a bunch of catches and over 100 yards against the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Two really talented guys. I tell you, John, Calvin Ridley, like that's that's one – that's one where I wish the Texans had been in on. You know what I mean? Like that's that 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 to me for a guy for a GM that just throws away day three picks on guys like Kendrick Green and things like that. To not have ponied up what it would have taken to get Calvin Ridley here, uh, I said it at the time too. This isn't revisionist history. Like I I always thought you know the Texans. That's how you that's how you can minimize some of the gaps in your roster compared to the rest of the league on the margins is to find bargains like that distressed assets like Calvin Ridley was, you know, coming off a suspension for gambling. He's every bit as good the wide receiver now as he was when he was in Atlanta, and now he's just got a clearer head and presumably no more gambling apps on his phone. But cornerback um, for me is is the big one, John. Like, I, how they piece this thing together against the Jags, I'm going to be fascinated to see. One of the things I feel safe in saying, Graylon Arnold, who uh, is a backup safety, who's had to play a lot, now he's going to be the nickel corner, and I feel confident saying Graylon Arnold may go down as the greatest nickel corner in history. Why do you say that, John? Second Bears. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Jalen Petrie's good. John Weeks is good. Yeah, no, they've got some – Baylor's put out some players, John, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm a, this, is, this is a pro-Baylor podcast. I just wanted to make sure the audience knew that you know, we get, we're getting new listeners all the time. I just wanted, I wanted to make sure they weren't coming away like, this guy – who votes for the Hall of Fame? Who's people on this? Supporting- people I don't know that don't know that they don't have a clue who Graylon Arnold is anyway. Well, exactly. And you just said he's the greatest slot corner in the history of the team. Not yet. Not yet. I didn't say, but he, was. he will be. Okay. I, I said I feel safe in saying he'll be the greatest in history. And that's just as silly, John. Sick if him. people don't know, sick him. There you go. All right. Uh, what's your prediction on the game? I'm going with Jaguars. Let's see, thirty to sixteen. 30 to 16. I'm going to go a little closer this time. I'm going 24-20 Jags. I'm feeling wow. I feel like the, I feel like the world is piled up piled up, uh, piled up against the Texans right now. And John, last I checked, they build all those big fancy shiny buildings in Vegas by people losing bets like this, not winning them. I don't think the Texans win the game, but I'm going to say they find a way to to uh to keep it close and CJ Stroud takes that next step in his development as a quarterback on Sunday. And uh, you do know the offensive line's injured in the corners. I do. I do. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware. I do four hours of radio every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 
The well, NFL's a weird sport. I hope you're John. right. It'll be a better. It'll be a better game and better. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they win. Way. I hope. I, I hope I'm wrong. I want them to win the game. But yes, I get what you're saying. You hope. You hope I'm more right than you are. Yes, it'll be yeah. much more fun to talk about next week if they overcome odds and finish with a four point deficit. That would be great. That would act. That would be great. All right. So you and I are both on the record there. I think they lose, but cover. You think they lose, and the Jags cover the number thirty to sixteen for John twenty four twenty for me. All right, John. Uh, let's uh, we're gonna take a spin around some of the stories in the league that have happened or are happening right now, and a little bit of Texans as well. You know, a little for real or fugazi. You ready? I'm always ready. Always ready. All right. So for those of you who are new to this, we do a little segment on our third episode each week called "For Real or Fugazi." I read sentences to John as if they are fact. If John agrees with them, if he thinks they're fact, and we'll dive into the, the fact or fiction of each of these. But if John agrees with it, he says for real. If I read it to him and he thinks it's crazy, it's stupid, it's false, whatever he says. Fugazi. Fugazi with that Waco Italian accent of his. And uh, that means counterfeit or fake in Italian. All right, John, I've got six of them in front of me here. Are you ready to go? Absolutely. All right, John. Um, as you and I pointed out earlier, the 2022 draft is not looking good for GM Nick Casario right now. For real or Fugazi, this will be Nick Casario's last season as general manager of the Houston Texans. Fugazi, I think drafting C.J. Stroud and as good as he has looked so far, and we think he'll be better when he gets his offensive line back, I think that that will allow Nick to, to go into the fourth year of his six-year contract. I agree with you, and I don't think they give him a title. They gave him an EVP title before the season, too, so they've actually bumped up his his – his stature in terms of the, you know, the nameplate on his office. He's executive, I think, executive vice president of football operations and general manager now, whatever that is. Basically, they gave him Easter Beast title and he's got the GM title. Um, the uh, I'm with you. I do think his seat is by far the hottest in the building right now, though, with how the Stingley no, thing is taking a turn. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just Stingley, Kenyon Green, some yep. other... I feel bad for a guy when it's one thing injuries, it's another if they can't play. And we were all very high on Derek Stingley going into the season based on mm -hmm. what we'd seen in the offseason, training camp, and preseason. So maybe by miracle that Stingley will all of a sudden be healthy after he comes back from this hamstring, but I wouldn't bet on it. All right, next one, John. C.J. Stroud, of course, he is uh, one of two, I believe, Ohio State quarterbacks in the NFL right now, him and Justin Fields. For real or Fugazi, C.J. Stroud is the best Ohio State quarterback in the NFL right now. For real. I think that uh, if you ask anybody, fans of the Bears, people who cover the Bears, people at the Bears, they would say if you could have Stroud based on what you've seen so far or, J or Justin Fields, they would take Stroud. Fields involved in a lot of controversy. The Bears are terrible right now. They look like they could be one of the worst teams. They've got Carolina's first pick. They're going to be in the market for a new quarterback next year. Um, along those lines, a follow-up for real or Fugazi, because we know Justin Fields, as you just pointed out, he he's, seems to be pointing the finger at the coaches. Uh, he apologized right away to his coaches after that press conference earlier this week. For real or Fugazi, Justin Fields didn't need to apologize to his coaches. I think that's for real, because – he said what he said, and people understood it. Yeah. Luke Getzey is making him think too much. They're trying to keep him in the pocket. That's not. That's like asking me to slip through a, a narrow hole, opening in a door. If I can't do it, I can't do it. Yeah. And he can't do it. He can't, he's not a pocket passer. They've taken away 
what he wants to do, which is run. You know, sometimes you just got to let him play and you don't bog him down. And right now he's being bogged down, and I'll bet you that changes fast. Yeah, but we'll see. Do you think uh, Do you think he's the quarterback of the Bears in 2024, John? No, I think they're going to have a rookie quarterback. It's going to be a great draft for quarterbacks, starting with Caleb Williams, Drake May. Dion's already said Shadur Sanders isn't coming out, so I guess we're not going to see him. We're going to see another one, Bo Nix, playing against Shadur Sanders. And there's there could be six quarterbacks going the first round, and they've got Carolina's not playing really well so far. Bryce Young's hurt, so maybe they get a top pick and they package them to move up to number one uh, because, say, uh, well, number one or number two. But I yeah. believe Fields is gone after this season. Yeah. I wonder what kind of, how does the league look at, do you think they look at him like the way that the league looked at Baker Mayfield when he, when the Browns were finally done with him? Like, okay, well, we'll bring him in. He's a bridge guy. Or do you think that the, do you think Justin Fields is still a, a quarterback at that point that a team thinks that they, he can be the guy? Boy, I think if th- after three seasons you haven't shown progress, you're going to be like Baker Mayfield. Some I of agree. the others are bombed out. Yeah. You're going to bring mid round picks and maybe eventually. Find a coach in an organization that lets you be you and knows how to harness it, and you play well the way Mayfield has been for the Buccaneers. Yep, yeah, finally. It only took four teams to, for Baker to get it straightened out. Um, all right, next one, John. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks who are performing not at a very high level right now, Deshaun Watson basically coughed up two touchdowns on Monday. He has not played well since he got to Cleveland and there's no signs of him playing well anytime soon. And I certainly don't think he's going to play well once the weather starts to get bad in Cleveland. So for real or for Gazy, Deshaun Watson will be gone from Cleveland by 2025 week one. Oh boy. Two more to this season and another season. Sure. Why not? I'll say that's for real. Uh, right now, I have people in uh, Cleveland, friends of mine, texting me every day about how bad he's played, about how bad he is to deal with. And he didn't play well last year when he came back from his 11-game suspension. Everybody's okay. He's been out a long time. Now he's got an off-season program, preseason. He didn't play well in the first game. They beat the Bengals. This game, it was bad enough that he had the turnovers. But when you have a quarterback has two face mask penalties, that's a guy who's under a lot of pressure and at the, at the breaking point. And now with Nick Chubb out, it all falls on his shoulders. He kept talking after the game. I can take the criticism. I can take the criticism like he's expecting the criticism. He needs to do something that helps him loosen up. John, I said this all along when he was going through his legal battles. This is before they traded him to the Browns. The hardest thing Deshaun Watson is going gonna, is gonna to have to deal with is not being liked. I think he likes being liked and nobody likes him right now. And it doesn't help. He doesn't even have his own fans in Cleveland on his side because he stinks at football. Now, this is fascinating to me. Watching Deshaun Watson, this version of him is a fascinating psychological study to me because they are pissed in Cleveland right now. I've listened to Cleveland radio on my way into the, to the studio every morning this week because they're on Eastern time. So I get to listen to the first say half hour of 92, three, the fan up there. And listening the day after that Monday night football game, they were saying the exact same things I've been thinking, John, which is Deshaun Watson, you go to his Instagram, tell me what he's more about, football or the life. Like he's you you've got to you you've got to sift through like a needle in a haystack to find football stuff, but you can find plenty of stuff about sports car shows and trips to Greece and and torn jeans that probably cost four thousand dollars and and all kinds of different things. 
and the dude threw a massive. He threw a huge birthday party for himself that looked like the ESPYS. It was it was there there was a there was a backdrop for people to take pictures. There was a red carpet for himself, a birthday party for himself. So he's man, it's crazy. And the fun, the the most interesting thing you said there, John, in talking about him to me was in talking to your peers up in Cleveland about dealing with him uh, on the field. We can see he's just not good at football. Did you ever have any issues dealing with Deshaun here, or was he pretty easy to deal with here? Never had any issues with Deshaun Watson whatsoever. And they're having issues up there, it sounds like, huh? Yeah, it just sounds like a guy who's put the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knows Kevin Stefanski could get fired because of him, maybe the maybe the president, the general manager, yeah. because they invested $230 million guaranteed. Somebody had to convince the owners, the Haslams, to do that. And, you know, heads are going to roll. And you mentioned earlier weather. Yeah. Uh, he's he's playing right on Lake Erie. Yeah. Almost always windy, even at yeah. this time of year when it's warm. Then he's going to get rain. He's going to get wind. He's going to get snow. And that's not conducive. That's why he had Cleveland off his list, number one. You know, right. He wasn't interested in going there. Right. Then when David Mulligetta, his agent, they said, well, what do it take? Somehow they came up with $230 million. They said, okay. That's yeah. the only reason he went there, money. Yep, absolutely. So you think you think somebody went into that, like Andrew Barry or Kevin Stefanski or somebody went into the Haslams and said, hey, we've got this deal, we need to do it. You don't think the Haslams were the ones spearheading that whole thing? I think they signed off on it. I can't imagine with all of Watson's problems that uh, uh, D. Haslam, the Jimmy Haslam's yeah. wife, who's very involved in the running of the team, was all – excited about bringing in Watson with all of his baggage. Yeah. But I think if they hadn't told him he can be a great quarterback, he can take us where we haven't been since 1964, they convinced Haslam. And then uh, Haslam doesn't sit in on the negotiations, but he had to approve it. So he sure. approved $230 million guaranteed. Don't know how they arrived at that instead of 220 or 240 but it's still the most in history. And right now he's got that hanging over his head, the weight of the whole organization yeah. on his – Shoulders yeah. and he doesn't uh, have a running game. Uh, poor guy. Oh, I'm so, I feel so bad for Deshaun Watson. The weight of the, the, weight of the franchise on you his know, shoulders. The Texans are loving it because they have their first round pick, just like the Cardinals are loving the Texans' troubles because they've got their first round pick. Yeah, no, John, there's not a single team that was in on Deshaun Watson to try to trade for him or that had him on the team that would rather have Deshaun Watson than their quarterback right now. Every and one of them is unbeaten. Philadelphia, Miami, Atlanta, and New Orleans are all unbeaten. Carolina, the only one that's not. Carolina. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Carolina. Carolina's not, but I think they'd rather have Bryce Young than Deshaun Watson right now. I think, oh, they're, I think they're all glad they didn't They're get all glad, there. John. And, and, and when you think about a team like Atlanta, like you could look at it and go, okay, really? They're more happy with Desmond Ritter than if they were to have Deshaun Watson? Okay, maybe not. Like Desmond Ritter's no great shakes or anything. They're two and zero. I get it. But Desmond Ritter, I don't know that three years from now Desmond Ritter is the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. But it's not just that Desmond Ritter is the quarterback. You would have had to give up three first round picks at least to get Deshaun Watson. So they wouldn't have Drake London on their team. They wouldn't have Bijan Robinson on their team. So it's not just a comparison of the two quarterbacks for some of these teams. Really, all of these teams. It's a comparison of Deshaun Watson to their quarterback plus what you were able to do with all the draft capital that you would have had to give up to then pay Deshaun Watson $230 million guaranteed. Like it's it's fascinating because all these teams have to feel like they dodge. Like Philadelphia, they got to feel like they dodged the biggest bullet of all time. They've got Jalen Hurts as their quarterback and Miami with Tua. Yeah, absolutely. The top two guys on the MVP board right now. 
the odds board are Tua and Jalen Hurts. How crazy is wow. that? Yeah. <laughs> and they both wanted to re replace those guys with Deshaun freaking Watson. It's it's crazy to me. Um, all right, let's see here. We'll do two more. Um, the Texans' first win, John, because quarterbacks – as a topic, Kenny Pickett is at the top of the odds board to be the first quarterback benched this year for performance. The Texans' first win will be week four versus Pittsburgh at home for real or Fugazi? Fugazi. Can you imagine what Watt and Highsmith is, are going to do to this offensive line? John, they're beating the Steelers on week four. I'm telling you, the Steelers stink offensively. Stink. They do, but that defense is pretty darn good, as the Browns found out. Yep. I won't ask you to make a bet on that because I don't want to take your money. I'm going to wait and see what the spread is and whatnot and all that good stuff. But I'm taking I, – I said it on the radio today. Texans' first win will be at Pittsburgh. I wa wow. I rewatched that Cleveland Steeler game, and I watched every offensive snap of the Steelers versus the 49ers. And I know it's the 49ers and the Texans are the Texans. But Kenny Pickett sucks. He's terrible. He's – I bought awful. into all the stuff coming out of there after the great preseason. I thought they'd make the playoffs. Mm. I'm an idiot. Uh, all right, last one, John. The Astros, if they had lost yesterday to the Orioles, the Astros would have woke they would have woken up this morning out of the playoff picture in the American League altogether. Forget about not leading the AL West. So, John, for real or Fugazi, the Astros will miss the 2023 postseason. Fugazi, the Astros are going to make the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, the Mariners would be out. Fortunately for the Astros, unfortunately, they don't start today. And I'll tell you this, the best thing about Wednesday's game wasn't Mauricio Dubon's walk-off. I know what you're going to say. great inning with Diaz's double, and then the Chaz McCormick got him to third. The best thing was Christian Javier, yeah. who can't go more than five innings but struck out 11, tying his season high. His ERA for the previous 14 games had been 6.94. Yeah. So maybe it's just an aberration, Sean, and he'll go back into his season-long slump but also, the way his fastball was moving, he looked like he turned back the clock to last season, the playoffs, and the World Series. So he would give them three starters. So I think the Astros are going to win the division, and the Mariners and Angels on their last seven games are going to beat the heck out of each other. Mariners and, and Rangers. You, you Man, yeah, Angels. Not, yeah, sorry, Rangers. Mariners and Rangers play three in Arlington. Then after the Mariners host the Astros in three, they play four in Seattle against the Rangers. The Mariners ought to win it. They got it all right there in the pocket. That's it. I was just going to say Seattle's in the best position, John, because they, they don't are. rely on anybody else. They, they take care of their own business. They're in. But the Astros are fortunate they get to play the last six away from home because they are pathetic. Yes. Their home stadium are the other 29 ballparks in Major League Baseball. That's where, they're, that's where they're at their best. They got to sweep the Royals first. If they don't sweep the Royals, they may miss the playoffs. It's crazy. All right. Uh John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I have a column on the Astros on SportsRadio610.com. I have a, a column on the 50-year reunion of the Houston Arrows from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'll be there Thursday night. It's been a long time. I wrote about all my memories from the first two years I was at the Chronicle covering Gordie Howe and the, those teams that were really good, and uh, uh, it's very exciting to see them again. Good stuff. All right, we look forward to reading that. John, I look forward to uh, covering what is hopefully a Texans upset win on Sunday after the game here on the Utopia Football Podcast. I do too, Sean. Always a lot of fun after the game. Absolutely. All right, we are done. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, does an awesome job of getting the podcast to all of you guys. 
If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, do it. If you haven't told a friend yet about us, please do. Tell several friends and tell them to tell a friend and, and on and on and on. And then we take over the entire universe. Um, so we appreciate everybody for um, downloading and listening to the podcast as we take you through this journey, this injury riddled journey that is the Texans 2023 season. So for James Jackson, for John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you on Sunday night following the Texans week three game in Jacksonville. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>